We're going to have Kyle come up and read the scripture for the day. Give it up for Kyle, everybody. Hi, everyone. Good morning. I'm going to read from the scripture out of Ephesians 5, um, verse 1 through 16. I'll give it a few seconds for everyone to get to the page. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a uh, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immortality or of any kind of impurity. Agreed, because of these are improper of God's holy people. Nor should be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater uh, that has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no word uh, deceive you with empty words, because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is limited becomes a light. That is what it, why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on, on you. Be very careful, careful, then how you, you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. All right, the word of the Lord. There you go. Thank you, guys. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this uh, community to dive into this book of Ephesians that we're studying, uh, to learn more about your heart, uh, your way, uh, the way of Jesus and the way of love. Uh, as this passage tells us to imitate God, I pray that you would give us um, discernment as followers of Jesus in our modern age, what it really means to imitate you uh, and not imitate the, the others, um, even others who represent you or, or others who are influence, influencing us. Um, God, may you make us uh, figure out what pleases you today. Uh, we want to know, uh, we want to see the pleasure of God upon our lives and we want to pursue your pleasure um, because it'll be our good and, and our pleasure as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if you were able to, I don't know if it was on the screen, I don't know if we had the whole text on there, or if you were able to hear all that, um, but this is a pretty tough passage to preach. Um, Paul gives a list of vices uh, in this passage, um, and I don't know where like your mind went to immediately, um, but where my attention goes to in my initial reading is this, this phrase that Paul says, may there be no hint of and he continues this list. No hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or greed, because they're improper for God's holy people. There should be a, no obscenity, foolish talking, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. No immoral, impure, greedy person, such as an idolater, will inherit the kingdom of God. Let no one will deceive you with empty words. He goes on to say these are, are um, we shouldn't partner with darkness. Uh, this long, this, there's a list of things. And um, I think it's easy. What I want to get at is it's, it's a shame that the church, evangelical church, 
has kind of made this mistake of gravitating our attention towards making these kind of lists the crux of one's spirituality. Uh, Paul, at the very beginning of this passage, starts from the beginning of what he's really getting after. We must start in verse 1. He says, follow God's example. Therefore, dearly as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Next slide. So basically saying because God, um, sorry, maybe there's a slide first before all that. Uh, Three things. God forgave you, therefore imitate God. Because God forgave you, therefore imitate God. So he's saying love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Let's not make behavior modification the central thing that identifies us as followers of Jesus. That, uh, that this sense of uh, changing our behavior being the central thing. And I'm going to get into uh, today just a little disclaimer. I'm probably going to have a, a big portion of my sermon that's going to feel a little bit more like a, a, a lecture, um, going into some, some Greek context that Paul was really thinking of. Um, so just hang in there with me when we get there um, academically. But the important thing is we are children of God. Jesus loves us. And we are to imitate God to follow God's heart. That's the easy and hard task for us. Now, as a modern society, how do we follow after God's heart? He later says, do what pleases the Lord in our modern age. How do we actually discern what pleases the Lord? That actually sounds easy. I think it's actually an extremely hard task. Um, because we, have a, we talk a lot about influencing others, people who influence others. When I was a kid, it was be like Mike, right? That was the thing. That was the social influencer of be like Mike, right? That was it. Um, now, in today's world, we have social media influencers shaping culture, which is just a code word for follow after me, right? Um, even pastors and leaders with, like, really good intentions, their goal, our goal sometimes is, is to imitate human beings, but we are not called to imitate even leaders or good pastors that we think. We're, we're called to imitate God, And that's what this passage is about. Where is God? His character in our lives. Um, Verse one, that God loves us. We're his children. And how do we, how do we know that he's, he's, he's with us? How do we know that we can, how do we know we're really imitating the true God? Now, in this passage, like I said, it brings up a list. Um, And before I get there, I just wanted to give a disclaimer that like what we've done, this is the kind of chapter and verse where a lot of damage has been done in the name of God, especially around sexuality. Uh, I don't, I, this is probably not a full like talk on sexuality altogether, but I do feel when you have a verse like this that says not even a hint of sexual morality, and that verse has been used, um, especially for if you're in your 30s or 40s and you grew up in an evangelical church, what many people call purity culture, um, which is basically using a lot of fear mongering. Uh, to motivate young teens not to have sex, right? And we take a verse like this and we go, not a hint of sexual immorality. That means the Bible says sex before marriage is a sin. That's all it means. You know, and, and so we just kind of make these weird jumps where the Bible is not really, we, the Bible is not a book about human sexuality, Okay. The Bible doesn't teach us sex education. Like the Bible is not, Paul here is not going like, how can I teach the church the right way to have sex? Like that's not what Paul's doing here. Okay. Like this is, this is, this is, um, something else is going on. I want to show you what I think is going on. Um, and of course, like, yes, it's part of it. Um, but this is not primarily the jump we can make. 
Um, Paul does make it clear that there is some form of sexual ethic. There is some form of sex that is used for exploitation or harm or out of the bounds. See, there's some kind of out of bounds way of which uh, uh, sex is used uh, to harm others, harm yourself. That's clear. Paul does not explicitly make clear what that is. Um, I would say it's probably sex outside a covenant, um, but, but still, it's not as black and white as we make. So what we've done, and, and, and this has been a long history, this is, I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit, but think about that phrase about the 90s, purity culture, what that's done is rooted in a long, long lineage and history of um, male white dominance, so let me explain. In the 1900s, uh, if you were an African American and kissed a white girl, you were lynched. If you looked at a white girl the wrong way, you were lynched, okay? What was that about? That was about women being used as a symbol of male white power, an objective, a weird conservative objectification of the female, okay? So that has been carried forth for, you, you, we can't lynch people anymore but we can still control women to not experience pleasure, to not experience, we can still make sure that we find a way to make you still our object. Is this making any sense? Okay, so now transfer that into more religious circles. And now you have, um, when using guilt and fear to motivate people to be constrained and follow some kind of sexual ethic, now we have all kinds of issues. Women, stories of, of women mostly that can't enjoy sex in marriage, like because the, the same trauma that one would experience when raped, for example, now because of the religious messaging that this is evil, this is wrong, can't enjoy sex within a covenant. So we have this like dynamic that we've taken and we've used as a way to really be obsessed over this for a lot of Christians, obsessive over sexual ethics, obsessive over um, control of, 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 of a female especially, right? Like what was talked about in those talks was like, okay, you know, guys, you know, women, you can't wear clothes that show anything because these guys can't control their attraction, right? That's an example. So, which is kind of weird because aren't men the ones that were the spiritual leaders, but yet they just got this issue they just can't control. Like, so it's just kind of an odd thing when you think about some of these messages in, in evangelical culture growing up. Um, and so here, here we've got this, this is our problem now, this issue now that's kind of double impacted where we've, we've, we've spoken as if we know very clearly what the Bible says about sexuality. Um, all because we've taken verses like this and we, we, we use them for whatever means we want. Now, Okay, pause the modern conversation. Let me go ancient conversation. What on earth is Paul, why this list? That's my first question I had to ask when I dive into this passage. Why this list? And um, I, w- I want you to go to the, the a couple of slides forward. He breaks this list basically into, yeah, that's good right there. Um, three, ma- three to four major categories, behaviors, people who do them, and speech. Um, so the behaviors are sexual morality, impurity, and greed. People who do them, the obscene, the greedy, the impure, the idolater, and then speech, foolish talk, and the Greek word wittiness. Okay, so 
That word, this is where my, the antenna goes off academically. Why is the word witty, which is used in positive context all the time, Paul now says is, is of something to avoid. Um, your, your Bible will translate it coarse joking or something like that. Um, but it's this Greek word eutrapalia that, he, that English translations say coarse joking, but it was a word used for just humor. Now, it was used for good and bad. It was used positively in most cases. Paul even uses it positively in Acts. So what I wanna, what, um, one of the scholars, um, Frank Thielman, um, which was one of my professors in seminary. So this is one of the reasons I'm kind of into this uh, academically. Um, he dives into helping us understand the context of Greco-Roman Greek symposia drinking parties. And they really help make sense of kind of the culture that Paul was speaking into. So let me just break down what a Greek symposia was, okay? Um, so th- this is not like, hey, let's go get drinks at the bar. That's not what this is. Um, this was a, a uh, these were conducted, these large, these banquets in someone's home. So it was pretty intimate because the homes weren't too big, usually nine to 12 people. And um, Paul lists these seven different areas and all of these show up in a Greek symposia drinking party. Um, they would often take place, again, private event. They would first elect a leader, which was usually the host. And that leader would decide how many craters of wine they were going to drink. Um, so they would say, we're going to drink three or six, and, and, it, and it, was, it was kind of a, a, a they would also decide, um, back then they mixed wine with water, and um, they were decided how strong the wine was going to be. Um, and uh, go back to the, the very first um, text that's kind of in, in tan. Uh, so here's an example of the craters of these, one, they, they write about the drinking parties, they said this, for sensible men, I create only three craters, one for health, which they drink first, the second for love and pleasure, and the third for sleep. After the third one is drained, wise men go home. The fourth crater is not mine anymore, it belongs to bad behavior. The fifth is for shouting, the sixth for rudeness and insults, the seventh is for fighting, the eighth is for breaking furniture, the ninth is for vomiting, and the tenth for madness. So, so for them, they, they would decide how, much, how, how drunk are we going to get tonight? All right. And so they would go to the next slide with the craters. Um, these craters were um, all kind of different kinds. This la- the one on the bottom left was kind of the crater they'd use for a Greek symposium. Um, they would be, have these big um, glasses. They would have these couches they would lounge on. A lot of the uh, craters were, not to get graphic, but were the, a lot of different um, genitalia symbols all throughout the craters. All right, so uh, very sexual culture. You got to think this is the, the god, the goddess of Artemis, who's the god of fertility, um, would, would be, uh, be worshipped right here in Ephesus. So just this is, uh, this culture is, is very permanent, permanent. So here we have, um, in this setting, you would have only males invited. Only the, it was a private event, uh, and the, the only females that would be invited would have been um, servants. These servants would have brought the food and drink, and all these servants would have been prostitutes. And these were more like elite prostitutes back then, were not just, um, just today. They were elite, they were the most independent of women, but they would be cultured and, and be be also multiple things. But one of those things was, was prostitution. And so they would be invited into these parties. So um, there would be really, uh, this was kind of a way to test how cultured are we? Uh, how, how, do, how, how, 
how do we put our culture on spectacle? How do we test ourselves and how well we are in Greek civility? Uh, there would be drinking, eating, games, and sex. Uh, now, about this environment, around the same time of G- uh, Paul was a orator, an educator named Quintilian, not Christian. This is just an, an, a Roman uh, orator who was an educator. And he wrote about the lack of supervision of children given to the elites of his time. Um, He says that the elite Romans have no right to be surprised at the children's ferocious behavior because they learned this from their parents. He says this, it was we that taught them. They heard it all from us. They've seen our mistresses, our boy lovers. Every dinner party echoes with obscene songs. Things are presented to their eyes, which we should blush to speak. Now, did you hear Paul say twice that... There's things that are happening that are too shameful to be named. So he, in, in Paul's mind, in, in Quintilian's mind, there's these, um, these, these, these events, these Greek symposiums um, that were filled of exploitation, right? So what's happening here is um, exploitation of, of women, of other young boys, of drinking in obscure language. They would start off with politics. It would get, it would become very foul. It would become, um, a, a sense of, of just a, a, a night of, of drunkenness, right? And, and again, like I said, this is not talking about a party. This is talking about Paul thinking about this event. He later goes on and says, husbands, love your wife as Christ laid down his life for the church. So I think Paul, in his cultural mind, does have some kind of way of thinking about who's being harmed by these cultural events, like who's being who's being loved in these moments? Like yourself. Like he's recognizing the full selfishness of these events, the full um, nature of these events, the the, the amount of um, pushing the boundary. Paul is pushing the boundaries for more equality um, for these wives who are at home who are being mistreated. And so Paul's world, we have to think about this: that there's this this culture going on. Now he goes through this list, and this is why you see that list back again, why they're all connected. Wittiness, all the things that would happen at a Greek symposium were included in this list of Paul's. So my point is, there's a, I say all that to say there's a greater context in which Paul is speaking into. There's a greater um, uh, uh, evilness that is happening or a sense of, of harm being done. And... Um, so yeah, so Paul is, is addressing this, correcting abuses of sex, excesses of sexuality. And God obviously cares when others are hurt by other people's expressions of sexuality. There's sex that advances exploitation. Right? There's sex that creates isolation. There's sex that is abusive, and there's sex that is lovely. There's sex that is joyful. There's sex that is intimate. And so... How do we apply this? So, I, I mean, I think there is a sense of like, how do we, how do we think about this in terms of our life? Um, my my family is watching a show on Netflix right now called Beef, and it is all about two people um, getting revenge after a road rage incident, and it goes a little too far, um, but it begins to show just the secrecy of two different lives, um, followed by two different individuals continually doing whatever they can to get back at each other that ends up harming themselves and their family and living this double-souled life. 
And I think that's kind of more of like the way to apply this passage is like, where am I double sold? <laughs> like, where do I have a life of secrecy that no one knows about that is doing harm? And where do I have a life that people do know about that portrays the best of me? And how do I actually live one soul? How do I live as one soul, one soul that is the same person? This is, this is a passage there Paul is getting out of, of that's what it means to love God. He later goes on to says, says that, um, that, that what pleases the Lord. Later in Ephesians 5, uh, go down a couple more slides. Oh, at first, uh, Philippians 4 is a great example. Let me hit on this. He says, instead of this list of vices, Later, Paul was saying, Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And so Paul here is is not just saying, put off this list, behavior modification, um, they were, my wife and, and my mom's in town, and they began to clean out the weeds of the guard, our garden. We're trying to get ready for spring, right? And to just think about that garden analogy with our spirituality, it's so, so true. It's important to remove the weeds. But if you're just like, we need to remove the weeds that are dangerous. We need to remove the weeds that are unpleasant. We need to get rid of the things that are festering problems. If that's all you do and you don't plant something that's good and life-giving... And plentiful, what happens? Bless you. The weeds come back, right? The weeds come back. And, and if there's your spirituality is like, let's just remove the weeds. We just need to remove the bad things. Think they, we need to get rid of things that are, we think are dangerous. Look how holy we are. We're, we're, we're moving to things that are dangerous, right? Like, it's interesting with these passages. Have you ever, you ever read these passages of someone who comes to Scripture? And anytime there's like a, an affirmation, they're like, oh, man, thank you, God. That was for me. And anytime there's a correction, they're like, man, so-and-so needs to hear this, <laughs> right? Oh, man, this would be a great sermon for so-and-so to hear. But really, what is that? Those corrections are for us. Those corrections are for us. So it's not just, it is removing the weeds. It's not what is a whole unholy out there. What is dangerous out there? It's no, what is dangerous within us? What is the danger within us? And maybe that danger, to speak to that, that crowd of that purity culture, is this danger of control, this danger of, of ego, this danger of superiority. And most of us probably aren't that. Most of us are probably like, there's, there's, a, there's this danger of, of, of maybe it's being double-souled. Maybe it's, I've got two lives that I'm living. I'm split. I'm one way this time, and I'm this one, one, one person this way. But there are, the, the sense of, of splitness, the sense of, Paul would say, I want you to plant lovely things, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, Go fi- he later says in Ephesians, go figure out what pleases the Lord. So what pleases the Lord? Go figure out what pleases the Lord. There's a lot of things that come to mind. I mean, there's a big, long list I can think of. I mean, I know justice pleases the Lord. I know, I know healing pleases the Lord. I know peace pleases the Lord. I know hope pleases the Lord. And salvation and righteousness 
I know that if, uh, Luke 4 says that Jesus came to set the captives free. I know he said he came to, to free the oppressed and give the blind sight. So obviously Satan wants to, you know, stop those things. And how is he going to stop those things? He, he might stop those things through institutions. Institutions, whether it's discriminatory systemic issues. And as long as there's humans running these institutions, there's also going to be injustices that become systematized. So listen, I mean, I guess don't allow Christian leaders to tell you that the gospel is all just this vertical relationship, that it's also horizontal, that it's both and. Don't allow Christian pastors or leaders to convince you that God cares about sexual ethics as if it's way up sky high with Delta. (laughs) And it's really important. And areas of justice are, well, that's for the another crowd, not Christians. What I'm getting at is Jesus cares about ethics and about what's good and right and lovely and pure in all places, all places. And the way we apply that is by repenting of our own, looking at the passage and looking at ourselves and repenting of our own injustices, of our own ways we've objectified, of the own ways we oppress. So what are we, what are we doing with our lives? What are we, how do we do this? How do we please God? Proverbs says, whoever pursues righteousness or justice and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. Um, are we living to just go to heaven or are we living to bring heaven to earth? I think that when I think about what pleases the Lord, I think, am I living to just go to heaven or am I living to bring heaven to earth? How are you living so that you might know and understand what it means to be dearly beloved children of God? Have we allowed politicians to talk us out of compassion? Oh, that's too social. That sounds too, too, too liberal, too democratic, or too Republican, or whatever. And so I, I believe God's calling us to this sense of of looking at this passage and going, okay, how do I not be double-sold? How do I not just talk on social media about justice? But how does my life actually bring heaven to earth with my life? Not my image, not my influence, but with my hands and my eyes and my mouth and my time. What does that look like? Um, So let's pray. God, I, I, I pray that this passage has been helpful for some, maybe for some who uh, just refreshing, I think, for some, or maybe, maybe it's confusing and, and, and enraging for others. I don't know. Um, but I pray that we, we get a grasp on what really pleases you. And I love the fact that Paul uses that language, pleasure. That God actually has pleasure (laughs) amidst a conversation where so many have been trying to withstand us as believers from having pleasure. We see that you are a God filled with pleasure. 
And so maybe the step of obedience for you is, I just want to go enjoy God's creation. I just want to go learn what it's like to bite into a savory plant or fruit that God made and enjoy it again. Because I've been a part of a culture that's told me pleasure is bad. For others, maybe it is this, this double-souledness. Maybe you've, you're, you're, you've been struck with conviction. There's a life that no one knows about that you need to sh- expose into the light and be loved and receive God's grace and mercy. We pray that you would come confessing that doubled life to God, receiving his beauty, receiving his grace at the communion table, knowing this blood-stained table by Jesus' blood covers you. You are forgiven. There's nothing you can do to not receive God's love. And the ones closest to you are going to accept you, though it might not might be hard and difficult at first. For others, it's maybe a call to this life of justice, shining light in hard, difficult places, to be truth-tellers of the iniquity and disparity that exists in our world, where we need to speak up when we see people misused or exploited. Just give you a few minutes to just be quiet and respond, do business with God.